What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This is my baby. And these two were just along riding my carpet, my carpet table. Kevin Sherrington. I did not choose the dance life. It chose me. Barry Horn. You know what my intention is? When's the last time that anybody has ever asked you a question? No one's ever asked me a question. I'm married. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Balls. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the Cowboys. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know, we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington. I am Barry Horn, and our guest is David Moore, but I think we should get this from the top. Evan Grant is not here. No, Evan Grant. He's in uh, the Dominican, I think, or someplace uh, on assignment. Assignment for us. Yeah, as, as you made it very unclear in, <laughs> in, our, in another podcast we did today. You know, you know, shot at Evan. Me, you know me, most of my traveling now is between my house and this podcast. Uh, and it, meanwhile, Evan is, just, is, is you know, globetrotting the world. We're using his passport. Yes, he is quite a bit. He's chalking up a lot of stuff. I think it says a lot about where his career is going and where mine's going. Do you think? David, I'll, I'm not going to touch that. David? <laughs> Do we, do we know if this is a work assignment or an assignment of other purposes? No, it's a work assignment because I, you probably are, are from Dominican uh, supplies a lot of players to the Rangers. Yes, There's it does. There's a lot of Dominican natives. And to baseball in general, it's ridiculous. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So, David, uh, not much going on in the Cowboys offseason, at least until yesterday. Well, I guess I could say that, you know, they're, they're, they're constantly uh, turning over uh, assistant coaches, and, uh, and that's not even finished yet. Here the senior bowl is coming up, and, um, and we don't uh, – and, and as, as far as we know, the staff's not even there yet. Uh, they're, they're all still here trying to figure out who's working for the Cowboys these days. But, but yesterday on the Cowboys' own podcast, their own podcast, Hanging with the Boys, uh, Stephen Jones had some interesting things to say about Des Bryant. Uh, and, I, and I'd like to, for you just to kind of go over a little bit of what he, he told the host. Well, one, how, how, how do the names compare of Ballsy and Hanging with the Boys? Yeah. Which, which <laughs> do you think has the – which is the winner – well, well, since Kevin is the father of Ballsy, I know which way he's going to go. Wow, that is that is so cold blooded, you know. Although I think that, that to me they kind of have a, a little bit of a of the same kind of feel to them, but I'm, I'm not going to go. Past you want that. you want you want to tell same us about that? <laughs> yeah, let's leave it at that. Uh, the ballsy is the more you actually have to see it in writing to see the the spelling and catch on. So yeah, it's, you know, you know, it works it, on several levels. Yeah, it's nothing without the Z. So uh, so anyway, back back to the the. the to the question here with with Stephen Jones, he had in my mind uh, three things that he said. Uh, one of the, two of them in one sentence, uh, talking about well, maybe that was four things then the, about uh, about Dez and uh, his prospects of returning as a Cowboy. Well, he kind of laid the the landscape for what this off season will be between the Cowboys and Dez Bryant, which we have all talked about. Uh, but Stephen Jones's comments made it very clear how it would proceed. 
he he pointed to, like everyone else has during the season, the lack of chemistry uh, that exists between Dak Prescott and Des Bryant, and gave a rather, uh, I would not say unequivocal, it was certainly equivocal, well, I, you know, they can probably work that out if they have the chance to continue to work together, basically. Those weren't the exact words, but uh, the, the sentiment was very clear that, well, maybe they can get better if they're still working on it together, um, which was certainly a, a an undertone of uh, nothing is certain here, Des Bryant, going into this offseason. Uh, spoke about uh, sideline behavior and demeanor, and while uh, the organization has staunchly been in uh, Des Bryant's corner throughout the year saying that uh, he's not a distraction, that his passion is a positive, and, and even his unbridled passion, they just want it bridled a little bit more at times, but uh, they love it. Uh, it's not a distraction on the sidelines. Stephen Jones began to talk about how it is a distraction on the sidelines, not only to Des Bryant, but to others and how everyone knows that. So in, in having and in, in just acknowledging the obvious in public, uh, I think it was a not-too-subtle message to Des Bryant and his representatives that, uh, look, we're going to have to sit down and talk about your contract. And the most pointed statement was that uh, you know Des had talked about his frustration, uh, which he did leading up to that final game of the regular season, and he knows uh, that he's being paid to be productive, and when you're paid that much, you have to be productive to a certain level. Uh, again, a not-so-veiled threat that his production did not equal uh, what he is being paid. So lay the uh, negotiating parameters, I would say, with the uh, first public shot of, okay, uh, yeah, you may come back here, but it's not going to be at $12.5 million. We're going to need to sit down and talk, and you're, need, you're going to need to... Uh, wrestle with your ego and just where you are at this point in your career and, and see how much you want to be here, but it's not a given. Yeah, let me go back to, because, uh, and, and I wrote a little quick take about this yesterday, and and I said, to in my memory, and, and you kind of spoke to this a little bit, but I want to get specific about it. I've never heard anybody in Cowboys management even hint that he was a distraction. It was. It was always the always not publicly. Yeah, not publicly. It, oh, it's it, it's just it's just passion. So, had, had you ever heard anybody uh, say anything close to what Stevens said yesterday, publicly? Yeah. Not publicly. Yeah. Uh, if anything, they've gone to absurd public lengths uh, lengths never to say that. Um, you know, if you remember going back to um, not this past season, but the season before, where he suffered an injury early in the season. Uh, to a, a knee injury, feared the worst, and then didn't show up at the star for a couple of days because he just assumed he wasn't going to be able to play the rest of the season. They didn't contact anyone in the in the organization. Uh, even then, All right, yeah. they were praising his passion and and saying how justifiably he was uh, uh, upset and concerned for the worst. And, and the most they would allow was, well, he didn't he didn't handle it properly. But we love his passion. We love uh, what he's all about. We love how much he cares. Um, again, this is the, uh, you're exactly right. This is the first time any high ranking member, you know, there, there may have been several comments, you know, in passing by others, but this is the first time a high ranking member of the uh, organization has 
actually uttered in public that, well, you know, this defense we've been giving him all of this time, uh, we're not going to give it to him anymore. And, and yes, just as everyone else on the outside has acknowledged, it can be a distraction. Can, can, can Rich do something about this? <laughs> can you fix this? Rich, yeah, can you fix this, Rich? Can you fix this, Rich? Yeah. Des is famous words. And, and, and I, w- I will say this, too. Uh, you know what? Des opened the door on this. Uh, I think everyone's going to point to Stephen's comments, and, and rightfully so, because it gives you the tenor uh, of what this offseason is going to be like between the organization and Des Bryant. Uh, but Des Bryant opened the door to this with his comments uh, leading up to that Philadelphia game in Week 17, where he admitted he allowed himself to be distracted and upset by things to the fact where it impacted his performance. So he, in, in a lot of ways, Stephen Jones is just reiterating what Des Bryant had said earlier. Now the interesting question is, will Des view it that way or will he view it as a personal attack? Yeah, that's that's my question about this. There's a couple of things. I think this is all a fascinating development because – because I'm looking at this as one of two ways from the Cowboys' standpoint. Um, I, you know, this certainly is is Stephen and his father Jerry setting uh, the bar here and getting leverage here. This, this is, is negotiations. This is our negotiations yeah. right here. But here's what I here's my question: What is their end game here? Do are they using this only to try to get Des to come back at at seven or eight million? Or are they looking at this as Des? We're are they are they looking at the greater picture of everybody, of fans and everybody else, and saying this is the beginning of the end for Des Bryant in Dallas? Oh, I believe their end game is to get him to reduce his salary and to stay here, because while he's uh, certainly in decline, he is still also their best receiver. And unless you have a viable replacement in place, uh, you are you are hurting yourself, he, even with. Even with the issues he had this past season, the number of drops, um, the the you know, not being on the same page as the quarterback throughout games, he, he's still their best receiver. I mean, now now if you have a viable option in place, I guess you play a little bit harder. But but this this is where so the end game is to keep him on the roster, uh, reduce his salary, and have him recognize where he is in his career and how he can still contribute and how he's still valuable to this team. But the, the other side of this is, in taking this stance, uh, the Cowboys know and others have seen that Des Bryant tends to uh, internalize and think, take these things personally. Yes. And if he takes this as a personal affront, uh, he may not be willing to do all this. He may view this from the spectrum of, look, um, you know, I've been loyal to you. I've given you my best years. You need to treat me like a man. This isn't treating me with respect. Uh, you're crazy. I can get more on the open market. And and the Cowboys are very aware this is how this could proceed. But it appears to me now they've made the determination that, okay, we know this could have that outcome where, where this could blow up and, uh, you know, to a result that really none of us in the organization want. But where he is in his career, where he is at his production level, and what his ceiling still is at this point with his potential uh, rapport uh, that he can have with Dak Prescott, all of this is willing to take on at this time in order to correct his financial. All right, I'm going to flip-flop on what I said a couple minutes ago, as I I usually do. They have to know that Dez 
Dez's makeup, Dez will not be happy taking a pay cut at this point, especially a pay cut that everybody knows he's taking, which is a demotion. Um, but let me point but out that, though, the, 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 about that the demotion from the pay cut. As Demarcus Ware pointed out, he took a pay cut. Uh, Tony Demarcus, Romo, they're they're not Dez, David. I'm sorry, I know you're Kevin. No, but I'm just, I'm just saying that, that other people took pay cuts. Yes, temperamentally, Dez is not does not compare to those other uh, players that you mentioned, and will not look at it analytically and unemotionally as, as a strict business decision. Uh, Dez has shown throughout his career he's incapable of separating business from his personal feelings, and his personal feelings often influences his business decisions. We've seen that time and time again. Uh, so, yes, I believe uh, they're aware uh, of that he is going to react differently than others have before him. But I will also go back to that, um, the, the session that, that Des Bryant, the rare session Des Bryant had with reporters uh, leading up to week 17. And when he was asked specifically about taking a pay cut, it was not a defiant, are you kidding? No way in the world would I do that. He sat there. Uh, dropped his head, stammered for a little bit, uh, said a few words, and then came to, uh, well, no, no, no. And, I mean, he had to talk himself into it. So if you're a negotiator and you're watching that, you're saying, okay, this guy knows the discussion of a pay cut is valid. He showed us by his body language. He showed us by his initial response. If this was the same brash, confident Des Bryant, he would have jumped down the reporter's throat immediately. He would have been much more defiant. The fact he had to work himself back to that state gives us an opening to negotiate. Yeah, but I just I'll just say this: when when they cut actually cut his salary, I'm not saying they're right. I'm just saying that that's, I think that's how they read that situation. Oh, I, I think I think you're right. And and, and here, here's here's my. My Rita of Des and his emotions, and, and and being a father of four children, I think it qualifies me to talk about uh, how, when people get emotional well, about this, things. The, the parenting con, yeah, it's it, the parent. No, when you when I'm watching Des, you know, we're used to watching Des on the sideline, and and listen, I don't I don't want to dump on Des too much here. He's, he's there was a time when he was a great player for the Cowboys. There was a three year period when he was tremendous. I think that time has passed, uh, but there was also you know in in that time. Uh, when when Des was great and he didn't get the ball, he, he, he you know I will say this: he was always about. I do believe he was about winning, and and I do believe that when they won, when he was not great, he didn't have a problem with that. Um, I think when they lost and they were not going to him, he had a big problem with that. I, I saw a different player this year. I saw a guy at the end of the year with his head down on the sideline when things were going poorly. I, I believe it was a guy who's lost confidence in his ability to, to be what he was, who, who realizes, like everybody else watching these games, that, no, he's not getting it done. So when people say, well, listen, this is on, this is on Dak, too, that he's got to learn how to get the ball to Dez, and he's gotta, you know, they've got to make that work, and that he could go someplace else uh, that Dez could, and he'd be the same old Dez that he used to be. I don't think that old Dez is there anymore. And I, and I think that you think he thinks that I think that he I don't know that he thinks that I think that there's a he's wondering it in the back of his head. He's thinking, 
Am I still am I really still the guy that I used to be? Because if he were just like just like David said, he would have been adamant. He would have jumped down people's throats when they said that he wouldn't be thinking maybe I should take a pay cut. I, I can't imagine that he would say that if he thought that he was still the player he used to be. And if he thought it was Dak's fault and maybe not his fault, he would say that. I'm not saying he would blame Dak publicly. Oh, he would imply it. He would, he would imply it. So, but he's never, he's never done that. So I, I, at least as far as I can tell, and, and David can speak to that a lot better than I can, you know, but I, I just feel like that there's, there's, there are doubts in Dez's mind about who he is and what he is. And, and I think that says everything. If, if he's got those doubts, he's, I, I, you know, we, we've seen other people blame the Cowboys coaches for not being creative, that the fact that all of the receivers, you know, went backwards this year. Right. How can that be that all of them go back? Well, if the quarterback went back. Well, the quarterback that, that did would, too. Well, that, that would have that a lot, would have to, do lot with to do with it. it. So, you know, how much of that is the player's fault? How much of that is the coach's fault? Whatever. I do think that Dez is thinking in the back of his mind, maybe I'm not Dez Bryant anymore. David, won't, won't the draft tell us a lot about – about what the Cowboys think of Dez? The draft and free agency both, right. sure. And uh, and how does Dez respond to what you would anticipate they would do in, in free agency and, and the draft? So there are a lot of moving parts here. Uh, to, I, and this is one where I agree with both of you, and I, I think this is going to shift through the offseason, which to me is going to make this fascinating, because I, I believe – that for the first time there was uh, a glimpse and a realization on Des Bryant's part about his decline and his vulnerability in that uh, in in his comments at the end of the season. All now, also in saying that, there was also a again, it was very much a, an open therapy session, and and you got the sense that he was trying to not just convince us, but convince himself that he was still an elite player. It, it wasn't a defense. It wasn't a full-throated defense as much as it was a, like I said, a, a therapy session trying to uh, build himself back up in, in a public forum in his own mind and the minds of others. And while Dez has never been one to blame other teammates, I, everyone talks about what a great teammate he is, and, and I believe that. Uh, your out is going to be... But like it is with all great players who don't perform the way they did before, the system. Uh, they're not allowing me. Coaches aren't putting me in position to do the things I can still do. Uh, of course, then you get to the question, okay, why are they not putting you in those positions anymore? Because they've made the determination you can't do it. Uh, but uh, so he's going to blame the system, not Dak Prescott or, or the, the other players around him for any, for any slide. Now, all of this being said, I do believe that was the mindset he went into the off season. That you know what, maybe I'm. Am I not the player I was? Uh, what do I, what do I need to do here? I know I'm still good, but how can I do this? How can I do that? I do believe that's how he went into the off season. To me, the fascinating question is, but he's not around everyone in the organization now. He's around people who are completely loyal to him and don't necessarily have an analytical view on where he is in his career. So they're going to tell uh, him they're going to tell him he's getting screwed is what you're saying. They're going to tell him, "Look dude, there's nothing with you. This is all the system. What they're going to try to take, make you take a pay cut because the coaches didn't put you in the right position because the system got away from you? 
that's you know you can't let him do that, man. You're still Des Bryant, and he's going to hear that over and over and over again all off season. He's going to want to cling to that emotionally as anyone would, and, and I think that uh, that reflection that that he gave everyone a glimpse of late in the season. I think that will be hardened and, and pushed into the past. And that, that's where I think it could be uh, pretty contentious this offseason between Des Bryant and the Cowboys. Yeah, and, and, uh, and, and here's the other thing, too. Um, there's, the, there's all the talk in the world in the offseason. And then when the regular season starts, and let's say, because, because in my mind it's, no, it's clear whether they keep Des or not, they have to add another wide receiver, <laughs> and whether that's through sure. free agency or in the draft. And so if you get a guy – who is is worth that? A, a guy who's a, who's a really good receiver, and he's a guy who can create some separation. He's a guy that can g- go up and get the ball when when Dak throws it. If Dak finds that, just like he did last, not this last season, but in two thousand and sixteen, like he did with Cole Beasley. You know, remember Cole Beasley was his favorite target. Yeah, right. And so, uh, and then that, and then when defenses shifted NFL last year, defense is kind of yeah, and, and smothered him. Uh, then that ended that. But how 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 well is Des going to take that? You know, it's it's one thing to say, you know, in theory, oh yeah, I, I can do this. I'll I'll be a I'll be a great teammate, and I'll I'll take a pay cut, and I'll I'll be, I'll be a good teammate for all that. And then if another guy comes in and he becomes a true number one, I, you know. I, I think Des could take that with Cole Beasley because he's a little slot receiver who who made. Well, there was never anybody thinking that Cole Beasley was number one. No, no, there's not. But if there's a if there's a guy on the opposite side that all of a sudden it looks like he is the guy they're going to go to and they're going to go to in the red zone, the guy that's going to be their touchdown maker. Then uh, then I think that that's a completely different animal. Yeah this this isn't a Dirk Nowitzki scenario where you recognize where you are in your career, and you're willing to adapt and, and take on a different role as you go forward. Uh, this is a guy who's going to feel like something has taken from him, and and it's been taken from him unfairly, that he can still do the things that he's always done. That's, that's the other element of this, too, and, and that's why that, that makes this so dicey. Uh, even if you agree on the pay cut and, and, and you get everybody on board going into the season, if someone else starts to emerge, now suddenly – um, you know, look, every, everyone pointed to uh, the, the fact that, if anything, that Dak went to Dez too often this past year when you look at the efficiency of it. Um, well, if you find someone else you're more efficient with, uh, that's taking opportunities away from Dez Bryant. And, and I think it's and, – and based on this past season, that's what you want to do. You don't want to have a, a quarterback rating of, of 60 when you're going to – your lead receiver and up, you know, 85, 90 plus when you go to everyone else, that shows you in the offseason you went to your lead receiver too often. Now, you can say it was because of a lack of chemistry, but um, th- there are a lot of factors that go into this. So, yeah, Des Bryant adapting to a different role in this offense, that's something else that, that uh, the organization is, is going to sit down and discuss very fully. And, and determine, look, it's, it's always about, there's always a push-pull here, and it's what, what can he accept and what can we accept. And that's what you're getting down. That's going to be the very frank discussion internally with Des Bryant this offseason. What will he be willing to accept as far as a 
diminished role financially and potentially in this offense. And, you know, what what are we willing to accept and still put up with in order uh, to make this happen where we still feel it's in the best interest of the team? Yeah, but, you know, Kevin made an excellent point here, and I really hate to say that. Well, let's that. phrase that frame what, right what, there. What, what he Jose, can you what, get that down there? Make sure we get that in the transcript. What, what, Des, what Des says he will do and what will happen when – when and if somebody else emerges as a lead receiver, I think might be two different things. Well, and, and listen, sure. and, and here's the here's the thing too, from a financial standpoint. That's one of the last things you talked about, and because that's obviously a big part of all this as well. They've got a they've got to sign Demarcus Lawrence. They've got to sign Anthony Hitchens. Um, and uh, David, if if they designate, now help me out here. If they designate Des as a let's say they designate him as a June post June first cut. Um, how much would that save them on the cap this year and next year? Well, they can twelve million if they do a, a, a post uh, June. The the other is eight point five, I believe, is what it comes down to. So they they'll get about depending on whether it's before or after June one. You're you're playing with about three point five million that'll give you to play with. But again, they they would prefer not to do that. And, and to the other point of what Des says he will accept and what he would actually accept and say, okay, say he will accept this, so they agree to a new you know, uh, uh, salary. He stays. They do acquire a receiver in the draft or free agency that as the season goes along surpasses him and becomes the number one receiver. How would he handle it then? I believe the organization will say if that's the way it unfolds, fine because players know who we're producing players recognize where a guy is in his career if another receiver comes in and takes this away from them des may not like it but des isn't going to splinter this locker room because everyone in there will realize this other guy's the one that's producing at a higher level than he is and so his platform and his impact on the team at that stage is diminished uh that you know you always hear uh, Jason Garrett talk about how it's a meritocracy. Uh, that's where he'll let this play out, and they would feel any potential problem from that scenario would be minimized. Yeah, I, if we go back to what Bryce Butler said in his well-publicized comments, um, he, he, you know, it was clear reading uh, between the lines on, on his comments that he felt like that really Des didn't have a complaint coming. That that you know he, he wasn't. I don't think he was very critical of of Des, but I think he he did make it seem like listen, that's just what you said. This is this is a a, a player issue and performance issue, and uh, and we all can see where he is at this point in his career. Everyone can see in, in that locker room where he is now. They 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 understand and appreciate his passion. Uh, they enjoy being around him as a teammate. They know how much he cares about the team. They're willing to give him uh, a latitude, and they believe he's earned a latitude that other players in that locker room have not based on his longevity and, and level of performance to this point. But all of that only gets you to a point, you know, and uh, uh, you, you can only take all of that so far. And so, like I said, well, I think his teammates are, are – are, really like him, uh, respect him, and will give him latitude and, and, and wide berth on some of this, they're not going to give him the sort of uh, 
uh, birth that would allow him to uh, impact this team in a negative way going forward in any way. David, I know we're going to get into the quarterbacks, but before we do that, I was watching the uh, AFC Championship game this week, uh, the Jacksonville-New England game. And, and I, Heartbreaker. I, I, and I, all I was, and it brought, took me back to the 2016 draft. When the Cowboys, I, I want to talk first and second rounds. When the Cowboys took uh, Zeke Elliott and Jacksonville then took Jalen Ramsey. And in the second round, when the Cowboys took the linebacker from Notre Dame, Jalen Smith. And a few, few picks later, uh, Jacksonville took Miles Jack. Miles Jack, yeah. Um, if that had to be done over again, would you think the Cowboys would do the same thing? Yes, I do. I think they um, uh, they had a lot of discussion about that. I, I do think they would have taken Jalen Smith over Miles Jack again, and I wow. think a lot of that has to do with the system fit. Um, and they're also, um, while there were, and again, who who look? They're dealing with gray areas here sure. when, when you're talking about medical determinations, but. Their determination was that, yes, Miles Jack would be ready to go and make a contribution sooner than Jalen Smith, but we're more concerned about his condition from a degenerative standpoint than we are Jalen Smith if the, if, the, if the nerve starts firing again, and we believe it will start firing again. Now, that was a big jump right there because you're talking about nerve damage issues. But, but they just felt from their, my understanding, from their medical evaluation, and I think there were some other teams that, that, that fell into this as well, that they questioned uh, how long Miles Jack was going to be able to play. Now, while you could question how long, whether or not Jalen Smith was going to get back, uh, if he did get back, they, they felt that, you know, he would be able to proceed and, and go forward. And it was a uh, more of an isolated issue than some of the things that Miles Jack deals with. Whether that's accurate or not, uh, we're not going to know that for many years down the road. But that was a big part of their determination on that, along with the scheme and, and the fit for the scheme and how they play defense. What so, was what, was the name? I, I still think they would have done that, and I still think they would have gone, Elliot. You know, the other one you can say uh, uh, Travis Henry, uh, the running back that went to uh, Tennessee and had 159 yards. Derrick Henry. Uh, yeah, ter- yeah, yeah. Excuse me, Derrick Henry. Yeah. Uh, you know, they could have gone Jalen Ramsey and then gone with Henry in the second round. Right. Uh, would they have been better off doing that? Well, this year you can make the argument, yeah. But I, I, I will say when Ezekiel Elliott's out there, I mean, he certainly appears to me to be a transcendent running back and one of the top one or two running backs in this league. I, I mean, I think Tim and Gurley and Le'Veon Bell are on a level that no one else is on. Um, and... You know, but yeah, you, you look at what Jalen Ramsey does uh, and how important that position is. They discussed it a lot, and they basically came down to, well, you know what? Who's going to touch the ball more, and who touches the ball more has a bigger chance to impact the game. And as great as Jalen Ramsey is, a lot of that would be keeping guys from throwing at him. They're still going to throw somewhere else. They would just avoid him. Well, that's a well, that's a huge piece to have defensively. Is that a bigger piece than being able to give someone the ball 30 to 35 times in a game and giving them a chance to, to break open the game and win it for you? 
And the other side that goes with all of this is as long as Jerry Jones is ahead of this organization, as long as Jason Garrett, who is a backup quarterback in the NFL as the head coach, this team will always lean toward the importance of offense over defense. And you put all of that in together, uh, yeah, I don't think they would have budged. Yeah, I, I think they still would have gone the uh, same way. I don't think they would either. I, although you know, and I and listen, should they have? And I understand. I, should I understand, they have gone? I know, but I understand that argument a little bit. That's just what I'm about to say. I I get their argument, and I, I and I got it last year, and I didn't really have a big problem with it. I did question whether you know they should take Jalen Ramsey because here's the thing: in the end, uh, and the and the argument is correct that yeah, that you're you're probably not going to get as many plays on the field. And I and I and I posted this on on Twitter. Uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, about that whole question of what they should have done when you had people saying that how great Jalen Ramsey already is, um, as, as is, you know, Zeke Elliott. Uh, but, you know, there are very few cornerbacks in the, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Very few. I think, I think there are fewer, other than kickers and punters, there are fewer cornerbacks than in any other position. What that tells you is it is really, really hard to find a great cornerback. It is not. It is not as hard to find a great running back. Now I realize, right. and David's right. He is a transcendent running back. But to me, the thing that that makes you different is is that if you've got this great offensive line and then you get yourself a really good running back, you're probably good enough then, right there. And if you can really, I mean, because because what this defense lacks is great players. You know, it, it doesn't have enough of them. And if you can get a guy that you could lock up as a cornerback for the next ten years. That, that could be playing at a Pro Bowl level every year. Well, I, I think, you know, uh, I think I, but, that's but what I would have done then. You know, what but I when I asked now. the question, I didn't want to put it uh, yeah. first-round pick but, to first-round pick. I wanted that. And, first and the reason second. that is, sure. is because sure. they use first-round pick, by and large, on offensive players yeah. because they have an offensive identity. Uh, they, re- they rebuild the offensive line with first-round picks. They try to rebuild and populate the defensive line, by and large, with second, third, and seventh-round picks. Uh, you, you can tell by how they allocate their, their resources. Now, now to me, I, I agree with all of that, and it's a fascinating argument. And, and I would say most people in the league, I, I think most teams in the league, would have taken Ramsey over Ezekiel Elliott at number four last year uh, from, from the people I talked to because that is more uh, the conventional wisdom. I mean, it, if you take away the teams that have a clear offensive bent, uh, a clear defensive bent, and, and then you leave the others in there, uh, I think probably that the majority of the others would have leaned toward uh, Jalen Ramsey. All of that being said, would the Cowboys have gone 13-3 and last year with Jalen Ramsey instead of Ezekiel Elliott? And then when you look at this two-year block of 13-3 and and 9-7, and how different would it have been if they hadn't gone 13-3? and uh, you know, I don't know that Jalen Ramsey would have had the impact on the Cowboys in 2016 that Ezekiel Elliott did. That, that's certainly possible, you know. Of course, as we said, as, as Barry points out, if you put if you pair that second round pick with, I mean, to me, the, the fact that Derrick Henry was available in the second round, who I thought was, a, you know, was exactly the kind of uh, running back the Cowboys needed, a big, powerful, you know, one step downhill runner for this for this zone read, basically or not zone read, but this zone option blocking scheme. 
you know, to me. I love when you talk like I that. Know, me too. Uh, it, it really, it, it really made it. It would have just, it would have fallen into place uh, so great. You would have been getting an offensive player in the first round and a defense. I mean, a, a defensive player in the first round, an offensive player in the second round, and a guy in the second round who I felt like was was worthy of a first round pick. Now you don't know it's going to work out that way, obviously. Sure. But but I just think that and I do say I, I do believe I do believe the majority of franchises would have approached that way at number four. Yeah. Let me let with, me with, given all the personnel that was in place, I think they would have said, you know what, um, we can get a, a a David Johnson like Arizona has in the third round, who's going to leave the league lead the league in overall yardage. Right. We can get a Demarco Murray in the third round, like the Cowboys did. Uh, back when they took him and get seventeen to eighteen hundred yards out of him. If you really had the philosophy that the that the strength of our offense is the offensive line, uh, and running backs, their value diminishes as time goes along and unless they are a special running back, you sign them on the cheap as a rookie, let them play their four years and then move on and plug another new body back there. Right. Um, that's that is a cost efficient and uh, a, a personnel-efficient way to go. But I believe the Cowboys made the determination that Ezekiel Elliott is a transcendent back and worthy of that. If, if there wasn't a player there of, of Elliott's stature, I, 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 believe they, I believe in the last 10 years they've looked at the draft and they've considered Todd Gurley and Ezekiel Elliott to be the only true transcendent backs over the last 10 to 11 years. So... If it was any other back, I believe they would have gone Jalen Ramsey. Let me ask you a quick question. I don't want to talk about 32 other uh, franchises or 31 other franchises in the league. I want to ask you about one. What would Bill Belichick have done? Oh, he would have gone defense. No, I mean, look look at the running backs he's had on that yeah. roster through the right. Super Bowl years. I mean, yeah. there's no question what he would have done. Well, I think it was whatsoever. interesting to me, you know, it, it sounds so foolish to bring this up. But uh, of, of the of the of the four teams that were playing last weekend, uh, they represented four of the top five uh, fewest points allowed in the league last year. They they ranked. I think uh, I don't remember. I don't remember in what order it was. But that was in other words yeah, one two three five. Yeah, yeah, I think that's what it was. One two three five. Three you know of the best uh, defenses ever. Uh, in in the league, and and I just to me that kind of just tells you everything. If you you know not, not, those games in the playoffs didn't always play out that way. Uh, we certainly saw that in the, the Vikings. In the, defense. the Vikings <laughs> defense looked awful against the Eagles, and who in the world could have predicted that? Uh, but let, let, that kind of leads us right into what we wanted to talk about now. Uh, speaking of what the, of the Eagles, uh, they had a quarterback that is now going to be starting in the Super Bowl, who becomes the second uh, Austin Westlake quarterback. To start in a in a Super Bowl, only the second Texas high school quarterback ever. So they're both from Austin Westlake. So both from he Austin and Drew Brees. He and Drew Brees. Yeah, we would have had Did it you either go to Austin way. Westlake. Is that no, why you brought no, it up? I know, but it would have happened either way because Case Keenum is, is of course from uh, Brownwood. So we we would have had uh, uh, either way. We would have had a, a Texas quarterback, the second Texas quarterback, high school quarterback playing in the Super Bowl. So this was a guy, Nick Foles, who uh, Jerry and Stevens said, nah, when they had the opportunity to acquire him as a backup quarterback, uh, no thanks. Uh, tell us why they said that. Well, at that point, that was going into training camp in 2016 and then was reinforced early in the camp after Kellen Moore went down with an injury. That's when you went into the, 
that's when you went into camp with Tony Romo, Kellen Moore, a desire to develop Dak Prescott and see if he could be the quarterback of the future, right. and Jameel Showers. So they had four guys. They were committed to developing a young quarterback because they knew Tony Romo wouldn't be around much longer. What they didn't know was he wouldn't be around past the third preseason game. Right. But they were committed. This this got into the progress stopper category. It was, you know what, um, if we bring a veteran quarterback in here, we're going to take snaps away and attention away from developing Dak Prescott to see if he can be the quarterback uh, that we can turn this over to three, four years down the road. Um, we don't want to do that. Uh, we feel good enough about Kellen Moore that uh, we're not going to do it, so we're going to stay put. Now then, four days into camp, Kellen Moore goes down, so the question comes up again. Now, at this point, it's early in camp, and they feel that, well, you know what, no one's going to rush out and get him. Uh, teams are going to, you know, it, you know, it, it wasn't just him. It was also, uh, um, you know, Cleveland, uh, McAllen in Cleveland. They had some interest in right. Cle- and Cleveland wanted too much. And so, so the Cowboys felt, well, we're not going to make a move now because whether we sign Foles or we make a trade for McAllen, we're, we don't have any leverage and we're going to be taken advantage of in a deal. So quarterbacks will be around. Let's just let this play out a little bit and see what happens. And Dak Prescott took off in, in preseason, and it was like after two to three weeks, it was, well, forget three to four years. We're comfortable now with him as the backup. Then they got then Tony Romo gets hurt. Then they get the news he's not going. Uh, he's going to be out for a while, and they were comfortable enough with Dak Prescott to go with it. So it was it, – it was – it wasn't as clear-cut as just Kellen Moore. It was also wanting to develop that Prescott. There were financial considerations and the timing of all this. You know, if, if I, I guarantee you if Tony, Romo, if Tony Romo would have gone down on August 4th instead of Kellen Moore, they would have gone out and they would have gotten foals or they would have made a trade for McAllen. Because at that point, that Prescott had not been able to show enough to assuage any concerns about his ability to handle anything or turn it over to him. Okay, so going forward now, and if you if you had to take a quarterback in the NFC East, who would be your first pick from the NFC East? Yeah, Carson Wentz, right? I, it wouldn't it be Carson. Yeah, I take Carson. Well, Wentz, but you still want to see how he comes back off the injury. Right. But I yeah. would say, and, and and Wentz is who they had is who Dallas had at the top of its board as well. Sure. Okay, so, so who, and and who would be your sec, the second quarterback you'd take out of the NFC East going forward? See, I still think you can make a strong argument for that. Okay. Now, I know some people would say based strictly on performance, you would go Kirk Cousins, but I believe we've seen the ceiling with Kirk Cousins. Yeah. I don't believe we've seen the ceiling with Dak Prescott. You better uh, hope you know, we haven't seen the ceiling with Dak Prescott. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there are some ways with – uh, how Dak Prescott conducts himself and handles himself and, and the leadership uh, ability and how guys gravitate to him and uh, support him that should not be dismissed. That, um, you, you know, I can see and pick up on because I cover the Cowboys. I can't see and pick up on that because I don't cover Washington or right. the others. I can't say whether or not Kirk Cousin has has that ability. But 
but I will say it's a it's a rare ability, and and you do see it at that. So okay, and then I, I just want to know how far we'd have to go for you to go, go with Nick Foles. Five, four. Well, at, at this stage of his career, I mean, I would take Nick Foles over Eli Manning. Okay, yeah, so, I would too. So four. But but here's the thing to remember to me about Nick Foles and 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 listen, gosh, he looked terrific in that game the other day against the Vikings. Uh, he just played lights out. Uh, but you know what? Yeah, the best game of his career and the only really good game he's had this year. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's what the thing. See, and, and fans start all this stuff about oh, you know, you know, he's great and Case Keenum is great, mm. and uh, and then you know, but the thing is, in these guys. A couple of years ago, he was also uh, in the Pro Bowl. Uh, was that three years ago? He was in the Pro Bowl, uh, and, yep. and, and he went out two thousand fourteen. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he and he went backwards. Uh, and and sometimes that's what happens. Maybe because that's, that's what was he was in St. Louis with the with the quarterback killer. Well, here's the thing: he had, and I think what's what's really interesting to me is that he had Pat Shermer as his quarterback coach uh, when he made the Pro Bowl. Right, uh, and then you know, his best year, yeah, as his best year. And Keenum had his best year with Shermer, and that's correct. Right. And and then uh, and Sam Bradford had his best year with Pat Shermer. So clearly, it seems to me that Pat Shermer knows what to do with these guys and knows how to cater to what they do best and and to help them along and to make their programs. But when when he was in St. Louis, he wasn't with Pat Shermer. Who was he with? Jeff, I know Jeff Fisher. Jeff was the Fisher head, was, was the head, head coach. coach. Well, Shermer hasn't never been his head coach. Right, right. He's been the coordinator, but or the, the quarterback coach. But the, my point is, and look, look at Bradford, and look at Bradford when he was with Fisher, and then when he was with Shermer. Yeah, yeah, and and, and of course, <laughs> and it, you don't have to go further than well, the remember LA Rams. What, and we don't remember what uh, that it didn't. Uh, Jeff Fisher wasn't very good for Vince Young either. Although I'm not going to make a, a case for Vince Young very much. Uh, but but I think it is uh, you know telling sometimes on these quarterbacks is that you know we we want them to be you know great right away absolutely and, 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 and we want them to be great every game yes and and Dak was was pretty great last year now yeah. I we we saw what the you know the the offense did for him as well and and I and I felt like there would be a, a backup this year I felt like that he would would not necessarily go forward that that uh, with the, with the things coming along with uh, with uh, uh, Zeke being out and being suspended for six games. It was going to be more difficult. He was going to be asked to do more things. You know, one of the reasons why he was a fourth-round draft pick was because he was not terribly accurate in college. And there were some technical flaws in some of the things he did. And Wade Wilson was going to have to work with him. He, did, uh, he made a lot of those adjustments last year. Sometimes when you're uh, under pressure, you regress to what you were. And, and, and I think we saw – that happened some this year. I'm wondering, you know, because this is the thing that I'm intrigued by uh, when you see quarterbacks talk about uh, another quarterback. Because who knows more about quarterbacks than other quarterbacks? And uh, and one of the things that, that Troy Aikman talked about was that, yeah, he's not uh, – I don't think Troy ever comes right out and says he's not a terribly accurate downfield passer. But uh, he has so many other great qualities. And, and one of the things that you all talked about – just a minute ago about how hard he works and about his approach to the game, how much his teammates like him and respect him. Uh, I'm wondering if how valuable would it be to send him out to see our old friend Tom House, uh, which is something that, that Tom Brady has done 
Uh, if it's good enough for Tom Brady, to me, it's good enough for you're darn right. It is. For, uh, for anybody, for Dak Prescott or anybody else. I, I'm wondering how you know this is a guy who's really dedicated. I think dedicated to his craft, really going to try to make himself better. Uh, I, I'm wondering if, if maybe that wouldn't be a good idea to try that with him. Well, I believe he does spend some time with House. I believe that's part of his uh, off-season routine. Now, you can talk about spending more time with him, but I know, I know House has worked with him and has really? and has talked very favorably. Yeah, has talked very favorably about some of the qualities he believes that Tom Brady and Dak Prescott share. Um, you know, and again, this, this is interesting too. I mean, it's you know, we're talking about this specific season and. Uh, let's step back and, and look at the two seasons. If if he would have had a traditional arc, if he would have had the, you know, again, like, Barry, you were saying, well, you'll take Carson Wentz in this division. That's who you take. Well, because Carson Wentz had that traditional arc where, you know, struggled. You saw the talent as a rookie, but made too many mistakes, but you could see something was there, and then, like, a big step up in the second season. Uh, but Dak had his second season and his first season. Right. You know, right. I mean, he really kind of flipped. He really yes. kind of flipped the blueprint. He had his first. He had his second season as a rookie, and then came back and had what you would have expected him to perform as a rookie in his second season. So, if you want to step back and look at a two-year, you know, a two-year body of work, just go okay. Well, they've done the same about over these two this two-year period. Now let's see what happens from year three going forward. And, uh, you know, I think that's legitimate. And, and, and I still say, look, uh, he, he found a way to get them to 9-7 and seven this year. And, and he didn't always look pretty, but he made plays at key times. Sure. Now, did he, did, a, did he do enough of them? No. But he still made, even with his mistakes, he was still making plays at, at key times that – uh, and, and stayed engaged in the game and didn't appear to let frustration, uh, other than that Atlanta game, that three-game period we've talked about before. I, I think oh. that clearly knocked him off kilter. You, you can't uh, put the Atlanta game on him. He, oh, no, he, not at all. No. But now, now, but his slow, his slow response to get back to an effective level after that game, right. I think you can put some of that on him, no question. Uh, but I – but um, – yeah, the, the coaching staff did him no favors there, and the, and they have come out and said so. Jason Garrett has come out and said that uh, in the ensuing weeks after that. Um, that look, that that is on us, which we all know. But at least he he was culpable and and, and admitted it publicly. But um, I, I still think and and look, this this was not the season the Cowboys expected or their fan base expected. But I still go back to the fact that, you know what, you had of the six playoff teams in the NFC from 2016, Atlanta was the only one to get back to the playoffs in 2017. And they got in as a number six seed on the final day and uh, were crushed, you know, uh, you know in, in that second round, weren't able to go uh, past that, were, were dominated by a Philadelphia team uh, with a backup quarterback and a team that lost its starting left tackle early in the year and lost about three starting middle linebackers. Um, so, you know, this, this was a big turnover year in the NFC, as it's normally been, and at least Dallas, as bad as they were, found a way to go 9-7 and seven and put together back-to-back winning seasons for the first time in Jason Garrett's tenure. 
Um, now, if they don't build on that and get back to the playoffs next season, none of that means anything, as we've talked about, and I believe you'll see a coaching change. But I, I think that as bad as this season was, it could have been much worse. And one of the reasons it wasn't much worse, well, I think Dak Prescott had a lot to do with that. I agree. Can, I can agree you go back? Uh, we have to wrap this up, but maybe this is fodder for another time. Jay, are you saying Jason Garrett's job's on the line in the season coming up? David's already written. Oh, no, I know that. I know. Hey, we have people who listen to the podcast. Uh, don't read, the, don't paper? read the paper. Oh, okay. Probably most of the people. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. I know he's written right. that. But, yeah. but I, I just want him to be very clear. Because, you know, this podcast goes from coast to coast now. Dave, David has written that, and, and I and I will it say, does, David. and I will say this that I I think that the, the, the caveat always is if something blows up, if if Dak goes down, well, yeah, if Zeke goes down, then Jerry I think will make enough excuses for Jason to keep him. But all things considered, if if people are reasonably healthy and you get you get uh, all your stars who are out there and they don't make the playoffs, I don't think there's any question that that Jason's out. Yeah, if you, if you go thirteen and three with a rookie quarterback and a rookie running back the way they did in 2016, and you, you're the number one seed, and then two years later you haven't been back to the playoffs since, that is the spectrum you're going to view that decision from, and that is, that is a prism where you have no other recourse other than to say a change is needed. David, with all your talk of spectrums and prisms, I want you to promise me you'll come back next week. And so we can and talk about the Super Bowl. That in as well. That'd be your recourse, sure. yeah. Absolutely. Okay, great. Thanks thanks so much. You, this was terrific. Educational. I'll talk to you from the Ball of America next week. And, uh, oh, David, you're going and, to the uh, Super Bowl. How fun. <laughs> David, who all, who all's going? Is there any columnists going? I know one of them's not going. Who's that? I believe, I believe, I believe Tim will be there. No columnists. I believe no columnists are going. I believe I will be the sole representative for the Dallas Morning News. Well, if there's only going to be one person going, I can't think of a better person going than you. <laughs> I don't think you're sincere in that. I am sincere oh, Kevin, in that. He, here's, the, here's the deal. I think Kevin is, is from the school of journalists don't like going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not a big fan of the Super Bowls myself, unless it's in a really nice place, and then my wife likes them very much. Well, David, I just have one one bit of advice for you because i was i was in uh, minnesota last march in march dress warm. i need more than one bit of advice but please yeah. Yeah. dress warm bring yeah. a lot of warm clothes yeah dress warm <laughs> i remember and i was at the, i was at the super bowl last time i was in minnesota it was cold so i just looked from from wednesday next wednesday on i believe the highest it's supposed to get is 22 degrees Oof. But it's it's a dry cold, isn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> when you you tell yourself no, that when you're it's wiping the icicles off your nose, you say, "Yeah, it's All a right. dry David, cold." David, be well. Thanks so much for being with us. Uh, as we told Eddie Sefko earlier, who was on on a, on a scintillating Maverick podcast, checks in the mail. Thanks very much, guys. Enjoyed it. Uh, David. You there know. goes David Moore. He'll have a good time up there in Minneapolis. Uh, it's cold. Oh, Boy, man. I was there last March, the early March, and it I just froze everywhere I went. Uh, you know, it always reminds me of the story back in the early 80s. Before I came here, I had an offer from uh, Minneapolis, 
and I had no inclination to want to go up there at all. And but I but it was good money because it was a guild paper, and uh, so I called my cousin, and he said, "Do you know what the cost? Do you know what the state income taxes are in Minnesota?" I, did, I, did, what, you know, it was 1984. What, what did I know about it, state income taxes? I'm sure just Dave a, Smith, the just former a sports editor of Sports Day, pointed out to you that. Well, I hadn't gotten here yet, uh, but but the point was is that I called my cousin who had married a girl from Minnesota, and she's and I asked her about it, and she says, "You know, it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place to raise your family." But the snow that's on the ground in October is still on the ground in April. And I said, oh, no thanks. No thanks. And so and that was we're that. stuck with you here then. Yeah, so then I came here. All right. Well, I think this was a great podcasting day. Jose, our, uh, the man, our link to the world. Do you th- Will you concur that it was a great podcasting day? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's shaking his head. He yes. looked really, he looked very, really enthusi- very enthusiastic. Yeah. Yes. He was, yeah. But, but, he, but he, he, he's our, uh, the man to, to make sure that our word gets out of, of our podcast Absolutely. and the highlights. He's our champion. He's our champion. Oh, that, is, that, is that what we call him now? Yeah, our champion. champion. Yeah. Are you a WBA champ, a WBC champion, an IBF oh, champ? Or he's no. a, this unanimous is not champion. boxing. This is not boxing. Our, our oh, old Brian is, is right now. Brian's is here because we're we're in we're in the studio where they're going to do a TV spot now. Of course, there's nobody sitting in the chair, but Brian wants us out of here. Yeah. So, so let's get out of here. All right. So for Evan Grant, who's not here, for Kevin Sherrington, who is here, and me, Barry Horn, who is also here. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.